0: Today's show is brought to you by Hana. For the past few years, I've been taking Hana One, an all-natural, daily superfood with 30 wild-harvested herbs and adaptogens to improve focus, boost immunity, and increase stamina. Hana also sources the purest, highest-quality ashwagandha and turmeric. To get 20% off your first purchase, visit Hana.com, that's dot com and enter the code CHAMPION20. Hello and welcome to the Champion Conversations podcast, where my co-host, sports psychologist Jim Afromo, and I take you inside the mental game of high performers. If you've ever wanted to learn how elite athletes, coaches, creators, and entrepreneurs use their mindset to overcome setbacks, serve as great leaders and teammates, and achieve their full potential then you've come to the right place. I'm Phil White, and we're glad you're listening today. Today's guest is Commander Rourke Denver. He has run every phase of training for the Navy SEALs and led special forces missions in the Middle East, Africa, Latin America, and other international hotspots. In 2006, Rourke was officer in charge of Bravo Platoon of SEAL Team 3 in Iraq's Al-Anbar province, and was awarded the Bronze Star with V for valorous action in combat. Since retiring from active duty, Rourke has starred in the hit film Act of Valor and wrote two best-selling books, Damn Few and Worth Dying For. Rourke also founded Ever Onward, which uses Navy SEAL principles to call leaders to take action, to suffer, and to be bold so they can perform at their highest levels. Well, Rourke, thank you so much for taking the time to join Jim and I today.
1: Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: I guess we could start off by asking you when you, thinking back to when you were going through Hell Week all those years ago, what was the biggest mental challenge of that experience?
1: You know, it's 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 kind of a funny conversation point when you talk about Hell Week. I, I have this kind of belief, and I, I of course, I think I'm right, but because I not only went through the course, but then was one of the lead instructors and kind of uh, 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 leaders within the, the training program. That, for the most part, people that make it kind of know they're going to make it I, and that just is part of the mentality of the guys that show up kind of prepped to see the finish line it never occurred to me to quit it never crossed my mind that I might fail and and I don't think I'm armed um you know radically different different with a metabolism or a mindset but well, mindset probably so but but I, I think from playing sports and being an athlete my whole life having disciplined you know parents and kind of mentors and folks it um I don't remember having to get charged up for Hell Week. To be honest, I was excited about it. It's like, look, you know, a ton of people have quit. A lot of people don't realize that Hell Week happens. You've almost been there maybe two, three months before you even get to Hell Week. You're in uh, pre-training, an indoctrination phase, then Hell Week starts. Hell Week's week five of seven in that first week of training. So there's a whole lot of attrition. That's t- There's probably more attrition that's taking place before you get to Hell Week. Hell Week's kind of the, like, Chopping block for you know if there's anybody that's got some quitting them we'll find it that week and then if you're terrible underwater we'll get you the next week but short of that um, that that's kind of the 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 real crucible where you're going to decide who's going to see the finish line who isn't my class started with about 180 you know young lions that showed up we graduated 22 and I kind of joke with people that I think sitting there on Friday graduation I bet 21 of us were like yeah this was the plan. And probably one guy was sitting there going like, holy shit, I made it, you know, just like, I like can't believe that it went that well, you know, so I think I don't remember having to build a mindset. I remember being focused. I remember saying, hey, you've worked hard for this. This is just another obstacle in your way. Let's drive through. Um, And then I think I, I, I was um, probably maybe uniquely aware at, at, I think, a young age that if I thought about my teammates, if I thought about my boat crew, if I thought about somebody else in need in that course, then, then I wouldn't suffer a moment of it. You know, when you're thinking of others' needs, it, it kind of makes yours go to the back of the bus, which has kind of been a, a, a lifelong, I think, tendency. And now something that I know if I actively do it, it'll arm me for uh, fighting off discomfort and hardship.
0: Well, that's great. You alluded to, to both your family situation and some mentors that that got you into that right right frame of mind to attack both sporting challenges and then those in the military. Can, Can you share a little bit more about some of that mentoring and that development?
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, both my parents were athletes, so they both, uh, they both went to Syracuse, which is my alma mater. So I went to the same school. My grandfather went there as well, which is very funny because it was not like a straight line that that was something I wanted to do Uh, lacrosse and kind of high school athletics is what ended up bringing me there. So it it was a very fun, fun route to kind of end up at a familial connection to that, that school. Um, But you know, my mom's an athlete, so she knows how to work hard and discipline herself and she's competitive and she's big and strong. And my dad rode crew at Syracuse and he, He's just tough. He loves uh, he loves suffering sports like row and crew. He was a track and field middle distance runner. You know, the sports where you're just like fighting against lactic acid and horrific pain, you know, all the way through is kind of his thing. And then I've got a younger brother that um, – probably would beat us all in all that stuff. He's a mutant when it comes to, you know, metabolizing discomfort and going hard. He's a firefighter in Southern California. So um, I think we just grew up and sort of marinated in a space where it was like, we don't complain. We work hard. We put in the extra reps. You know, if you're playing a sport and it has, you can use both hands, work the weekend, you know, work your, your, your shortcomings and, and, and um, you'll kind of enjoy the process of building towards excellence. And so uh I remember that just being somewhat the standard in our house and I do remember those you know kind of anchor point moments that I think whether you consciously can remember them or subconsciously they impacted you my dad's a big fly fisherman and I remember my brother and I at a very young age were fishing somewhere up on the Oregon coast for steelhead it's you know, I don't know, it's 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 15 degrees out. It's sleeting sideways. You're soaking wet in a boat trying to catch these, uh, you know, fabled fish up in those streams. And I remember I, like, this is intolerable cold, intolerable cold. And I remember looking up my dad and he didn't complain. I'm like, I guess we don't complain. So I'm just not going to complain. And so I think there are just a lot of those things that kind of built towards Um, you know, being being armed and kind of ready for that training program. And it's why athletes – I mean, you you guys obviously love the athletic space, as I do, because I was an athlete. And I really think of my time in the SEAL teams as it just being – kind of an elite level athlete job, you know, I mean, our, our guys are are significantly more athletic on average than, you know, very, um, you know, bigger, more mechanized units, our guys make individual decisions and can handle themselves physically in environments. And once you add the water in the ocean, and there's no mastery of that environment. But if you can survive in harsh conditions, there there's there's not much that can get thrown curveball wise that's gonna you know rattle your cage Um, but I really do think it was just you know sports um, that focus parents that kind of you know helped you understand that if you work hard you'll get good results and and just a a path of that leading up to before ever I even got to the front door of that place.
2: Yeah, I would say that uh, we could build our confidence through humility or arrogance. And arrogance is, you know, I'm better than everyone. But yeah. it sounds like with your family and also with the SEALs, it was all about humility. We're going to put in the work and, uh, and, and we're going to get there. Um, yeah. We don't know if it's going to look pretty or if it's going to be ugly at times, but we're going to get there. And like you said, the ones that made it were the ones that probably thought that way
1: it's it's absolutely the case but i don't disagree that that arrogance and that fuel can bring you a long way too and you see it at elite level and certainly pro athletes some of the greatest you know you you wish they had almost a little more humility but there's uh there's probably a give and take with that as well i think the interesting thing about Um, military service is the you know the the small handful of operators or or candidates that kind of use that arrogance as their you know fuel so to speak they didn't do as well at the team you know they did fine in training it 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 prepared them and got them through tough evolutions but when they showed up in the team environment that's the time you got to you know kind of kind of you know suppress yourself realizes about the team being a good, um, you know, partner teammate to the rest of the troops and, and, and really giving yourself over to that. And I know a couple guys that were uh, absolute rocket ships and Ferraris in training, but they kind of had that arrogance. When they showed up to the team, they got humbled pretty quick, pretty quick. Yep.
2: Yeah. It sounds like in uh with Navy SEALs, just like in sports, you're either gonna, you know, you're, you're either being humbled or you're about to get humbled because Navy you're Navy always Navy looking, Navy. looking exactly. for, yeah, for for bigger games to play and harder challenges.
1: Yeah, no, it is. You're constantly seeking that out, and you know that's what the that's what the nation expects you to do. So it, it's just a ever evolving process of, of of learning and refining and throwing things out that don't work, adopting things that that you can leverage for for a high level performance, and 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 then uh, and then showing up when it counts. Oh,
0: absolutely. We talk when we talk about, say, a, a free soloist like Alex Honnold, a big wave surfer like Laird Hamilton. You know, a, maybe a creator who's in that environment with them, like Jimmy Chin or Chris Burkard, documenting what they're doing while while doing the creative piece as well as the, the climbing and all these other things or the underwater work. We, 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 the term around that that's kind of gained some traction in recent times is a, a high consequence environment. Or as I saw one story about. Honold six or seven years ago that either the head or a subhead was you slip, you fall, you die. So obviously, you you existed and had to not only survive, but also thrive in some pretty high consequence environments yourself um, during your active service. What was the mindset around that for you personally?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I, I think it was, in some ways, maybe it was less mindset and more Desire to find those arenas. You know, I mean, I just think, uh, uh athletes in particular and and i'm i'm big into literature and history and i loved uh i love to write and read and so you know uh, another nod to my dad i mean he read books to my brother and i were young and it wasn't you know it wasn't like well harry potter wasn't out then but i mean it was lord of the rings and and uh uh c.s lewis and hannibal taking the elephants over the alps for battle and and you know these uh jason and the argonauts just these 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 heroic journey stories that that really, I think, must have planted a seed to where being, you know, in harm's way and pursuing those dangerous, high-consequence um, arenas were something that appealed to me. And I, I also think, you know, I like to – I was kind of a bully killer. You know, I had a younger brother. If anybody messed with my younger brother, they were in trouble. And if I saw a guy messing with kids that weren't strong, I'd instantly engage. I I just – I hated seeing someone prey on weak. It really, really bothered me. It bothers bothers me this day. I see somebody do it, and I'm going to get involved. It's one of the few things you can do to tip me over the scales into uh, behaving poorly, as as it were. But, um, yeah, I think those seeds were planted early. And then, you know, being an athlete, I played combative sports more than passive sports. I played team sports more than individual sports. And so um, that environment where you suffer together, you work together, you, you know succeed or fail together, really, really were the, the, the arenas that I enjoyed the most. And I got to my senior year of college. I'm, I'm playing at a multi-time national championship, top-tier program on lacrosse back at Syracuse. And I didn't feel like I had anywhere near enough. You know, I was just like, I, I want more. My buddies are going to go down to New York City and go into finance. So wherever they might go to kind of figure out how to make a fortune, and I don't begrudge them. I don't think they made a bad choice. Uh, there's just something more inside that I wanted to, you know, hit another elite team, and and um, I, I I couldn't find anything higher up the the totem pole than than special operations and and the SEAL team. So. Um, I got lucky in that the personality, in particular, of the seals is really unique. I mean, you 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 two, have, I'm sure, spent time with um, multiple different people within these elite. Um, organizations and elite military units, and they're culturally very different. I mean, we share non-negotiables that everybody shares, the tactics and procedures on the battlefield. You could teach, I mean, honestly, you could teach an orangutan to do that. I I don't say that to belittle it, but the X's and O's are actually very easy. It's not that hard to jump out of a plane. I mean, most people think so, but to learn those skills, land, and do these things, it's not as high a premium, I think, of excellence as people Um, probably think is required, but the mental space and then the kind of the, the the kind of spiritual um, ego and team belief in ourselves. And I I talk about on the SEAL teams, I feel like our guys just have an irrational belief in their abilities. I mean, an irrational belief and consequently when you meet us on the pitch, you're you got your hands full because our guys are going to, are going to fight to the last man, never give up. They're going to be creative about it. They're going to be devious about it. And so, not only did I find, I think the right job for me, I really found the right peer group. And that's what made it so special. And you, you've probably heard it a hundred times. The, the only thing I miss are the, are the guys are are, are the boys, you know, for sure.
2: Yeah. The camaraderie and uh, a lot of ex athletes that, uh, that I've worked with and that Phil and I have, you know, talked with, uh, they miss, they miss the camaraderie and, and, and sometimes even the, uh, kind of the structure, even though at the time they they weren't big fans of it, but they they missed kind of having everything planned out and, and, uh, and the challenges in front of them.
1: It's taken me some time to acknowledge and somewhat, um, you know, admit that I think what I learned, you know, 10 years now post active duty is that I was, I'm a very disciplined person. I'm not a particularly organized person because of the military. It's like, I mean, we had to organize things, but in general, it's like, Hey, I wake up at, at quarter to five. I drag a razor across my safe face at 530. PT starts at six. We do a meeting at seven. It was just like, it was all there. So yeah, you're, you're absolutely right that there's a lot of people that while they hated the and, and some of the rigor when they're in it, they leave and realize that you can end up being a little rudderless uh, away from it. And, and one thing I kind of forgot to say, you know, that high consequence um, world is it's an interesting environment. I feel like I'm just now sort of coming to this understanding. I'm kind of writing a little bit about this right now to tease it. But I, but it's it's. It's tough when you live in that truly high-consequence space, come back to a normal life, and then try and figure out how to replicate it. I I don't feel like I'm in any way an adrenaline junkie, and nor do I remember that kind of being the right terminology for my teammates. It was just this very disciplined, rigorous, team-focused, all right, we're going to do adrenaline-pumping, high-consequence things, but it was doing it. Uh, in a framework of, of of taking care of one another and, and mitigating the risk and and being prepared for whatever would come our way. But it's it's interesting in my post military life that you know I never trained. Uh, a lot of our guys get into jujitsu and that stuff, and so I've started training real hard in that because every time you go in there, you're basically trying to kill the other person. They're trying to kill you, and you make a decision not to kill each other. But it hurts. I mean, I got scratches on my face from this morning, and it's just like, all right, this is the type of place I want to be. I want to be with people that like to suffer. In some ways, in some ways, hurt each other within the framework of taking care of one another. I mean, it, it sounds counterintuitive, but I think I think your listen, listeners will understand it. But uh, you know, hunting and being in tough country and doing these things where um, it really is a high challenge, high premium, and there are consequences. It's uh, I don't think it's ever something I'll be able to get away from. You know,
0: absolutely. And and um, going back to something you said earlier about your time as an instructor, so. maybe there's a balance between wanting to break down these young people physically and mentally so that you can then rebuild them even stronger. How did you kind of find that to be as you progressed in your own leadership journey um, and and kind of going from transitioning to being on on one side of that to the other?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, being on the receiving end, again, I enjoyed it. So all the, you know, the surf torture and the runs and the swims and logs over your head and carrying boats, for the most part, it was absolute fun. You know, I mean, there were a couple of rough days when, when you were really hurting or didn't didn't have the goods. And that's another special part of the program. If you're a good guy and you carry your part of the load, your team's going to pick you up and carry more on your behalf. And then you're going to do the same um, for those, uh, you know, guys that have earned that from you. I, I don't remember having a lot of rough days for the most part. I really enjoyed it. So the breakdown and that kind of, you, you know, um, destroying somebody to build them back up. I I think SEAL training is a little nuanced when it comes to that. I think it's a little headier as far as the way, I mean, the the, the physical stuff is just off the charts. It's truly off the charts. Everybody can argue what program's the hardest, this selection course, whatever. I don't get into it. It doesn't really matter in the end. It's pretty easy to make somebody uncomfortable. We make people uncomfortable at a number and and an intensity level that doesn't even make sense. So that's going to be the baseline of your experience when you're there. It, it's it's the it, it's the really just kind of almost developing your own you know real reputation amidst that hardship and the reputation that you're going to receive and then kind of. Um, recognize in others. And, and and that journey starts very early. I mean, your reputation, our basic course, it carries with you. There's guys that didn't do that well, that made it through that never survived, never survived the reputation they earned for doing something wrong. And then there's guys that had reputations that started in that course that, that they never, all they did is water it and feed it and keep doing great things. Um, When you become an instructor, it's real interesting in that um, I, the students must believe we're trying to kill them and trying to do way worse than we are. It's pretty disciplined. It's much more regimented than they realize. Doesn't feel that way when you're receiving it, but we're very focused on, I mean, when they go in the cold water, we know how long we can keep them in there based on air temp, water temp, and what the human body should be able to withstand. And then we know how to warm them up for how long a period of time and then put them back in and really do this push and pull of, of mostly messing with their mind and spirit. You know, The body we know can take what we ask of them it, it's their mind and, and that kind of spark that lives inside them. And, and SEAL training is designed to douse that spark. And if we can douse it, you're not going to do that job. And if if we can't extinguish that flame, you're going to be a SEAL. So it really comes down to the individual. Um, and it's very interesting to watch how each individual does it and then how classes in general come together. I mean, we have classes that we call Beat classes, you know they just just make mistakes and screw up at every corner and have a bad attitude, and they get like double the intensity of training. And then you have classes that just perform at a great level, take care of each other, and and knock it out of park. And you're like, hey, not for nothing, we're going to move you on to the next phase because you've earned it. You know, so it's um it's a dynamic program. It's 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 much more art than science, though. It's it's very interesting to be a part of.
0: As you started to develop as a leader in that instructor role, what what was a challenge for you, or maybe a, a, a new skill you had to acquire as a leader, or maybe one that you had you know picked up earlier in life that you had to develop in this different context?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's um, at that point I was probably, I guess, eight years into the adventure. And so a lot of combat time, a lot of aggressive, you know, assault team time. So really, I hadn't had a chance to take a step back off the line to even take a break. I mean, it was just go, go, go from training. I had about a year and a half in the teams before pre nine eleven, which was a gift. And then it was just go, you know, like get after a train, go chase bad guys, come back, reload and go again. And so when you come back there, you actually, you actually have to strike a balance between giving yourself a little bit of a break, taking some downtime, getting the surgeries you need. I mean, you'll see a lot of instructors that are, you know, have an arm in a sling for a couple months and things like, cause like, look, I've been, I've been nursing this injury for a long time. Let me get that fixed and healthy and well. Um, but for me, less of a leadership journey and more of a, let me pay back my bride and, and spend some time with family and, um, In some ways, take a little operational pause to decide, you know, is this the path I want to continue on? I know what the next jobs are. Do I want to see this thing for 20 years, 30 years? Do I want to be an admiral? Do I want to leave now? Um, I went back to school and got a graduate degree in that period of time. Um, So it was a little bit more of an undoing of the intensity and focusing a little bit more on. yourself and wellness and kind of figuring out where you wanted your career to go it's it's a it's a unique place where I think the instructor the students probably can't recognize how much of a break it is for us because we're taking them out on runs and swims and doing it but it's the closest thing to a nine to five as we get and so um it's it's a special time and it's one that I think can really help people and I also think it's one uh that sometimes brings up some real black um parts of people's experience and they gotta they gotta you know kind of come to Jesus on that and figure it out and, and decide if they're going to carry on or or um, or, or hang them up right there. Uh, it's, it's a gift of time. I, I recommend anybody to go back to the training program, whether it's for the basic or some of the advanced advanced time, just to get that little bit of operational pause to recenter yourself. Jim,
2: yep,
0: uh, I was curious how that that jives with some of the high level coaches and instructors you've been around in sport.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, we've all heard that you can't pour from an empty cup. And yeah. so we really need to take good care of ourselves. And that's hard, uh, you know, when, when leaders, sometimes you mentioned nine to five, but I bet at times where it felt like there was, uh, it was 24 hours a day, you know, in terms of something could come up. And um, what did you like to do to, to, to fill your cup? Uh, yeah. Meditation, breathing, you, you know, just what were some of the hobbies, interests that you engaged in?
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the things I think that served me well through my time in the military was I didn't have a hard time separating kind of church and state. Like when I would go to the team, I was fully focused no need for anybody to call me. I wasn't reaching out to family. I was there and present and all in. And that's what that job demands. When I would leave base, I'd see it in my rear view mirror. Um, I didn't take it home a whole lot. A lot of guys can't, they, they, they really can't let go for whatever reason I had an ability to either compartmentalize or kind of separate. And so I felt like when I was home, I was present and, and available and and kind of uh, was able to take a little wrap off. So, you know, I love to read Uh, working out is just something we do every day because it just feels like it keeps the demons away for people that are aggressive. I'd get in the water as much as I could and uh, stand up paddleboard and I'd do a bunch of, so um, yeah, I just try and take those opportunities to, um, not immerse myself in the day to day. I was one of those guys, you know, we have um, big team rooms and big cages where we keep all our gear. Some guys will put cots in there and let's say you're doing dive operations in training. So now your schedule is real wonky because we dive at night. So you're showing up the team three in the afternoon, getting gear ready, plan a dive. It gets dark. Maybe you dive from nine till, you know, 10, 11, 12, one in the morning, you come back, clean gear, reset it. And then you're home by you know, four or five in the morning and then trying to get some sleep. There were guys that would just say, you know, it's not even worth the time for me to go home to my bed. I'm just going to sleep here with the team and start again. And I would, I would actually even burn an hour of sleep time just to go get to my own bed, go get to a place that smelled like, you know, my bride and, and a beautiful place to be away from this, you know, the hard rough edges of, of, of a Spartan environment to, to just recharge and fill that cup back up. So I think I was, I was probably doing better by myself than I realized. I don't know if I was doing that well by my by my bride and my family. You, you realize that as you're trying to kind of reload your cup, they're 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 still carrying the the stress of of your life of your life choices. But uh, I feel like my my gal and I are working it out now to be like, hey, we don't need to do that anymore. You know, we we you, you don't need to handle the the emergencies without me. I'm here. I'm not going to deploy anymore. And um, it's a real interesting kind of phase in our life figuring that out now as
0: you transitioned away from from active service um you kind of touched on it uh, just a second ago what what was some some challenges for you was it finding a new driving force was it finding a new way to direct all that energy that you previously put into a combination of of academics and athletics and then in the military um okay. just talk a little bit about kind of taming the transition back to civilian life
1: yeah, I, I mean, I would say without question, and this had, I think, very little to do with me. I got very lucky in my transition. At the end of my active duty time, um, some buddies of mine got put on orders to make this movie Act of Valor, so we literally think we're going to be making a recruiting film, and then it's, at a minimum, we go to the bottom of a Walmart DVD bin, and all of a sudden, it's the number one movie in America. I had already decided that I was getting out. Um, I can't remember if we talked about this earlier, but the, when I was in college trying to figure out what I wanted to do, the real spark for the military service was, as I told you, I love to read. I was reading Winston Churchill, one of his autobiographies, and that was the actual, you know, lightning bolt that sent me to service. So I, I, I had an idea to write when I had something to write about, and I'd come back from a bunch of combat deployments. It was like, man, I feel like I got some lessons to, to share and some, some ideas to talk about. So when I came off active duty, because of the movie, there was some, you know, opportunity to at least Uh, get in the public sphere and do, you know, both some speaking and some writing and some of that stuff. So I got very lucky in that I had, I had a, you know, I guess comparatively easy financial transition. I, I was able to put food on the table and actually in the civilian world, some of the things that, that worked out made, you know, my, my military salary look ridiculous. So that was, that was great. So that stress wasn't on the table, which would be a huge stress for guys that were used to getting, you know, this much pay, this medical and dental and everything set up um the purpose part you touched on is 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 the one that I think in some ways I'll forever I'll forever wrestle with there's there's obviously purpose in in all sorts of things and and I think you can find purpose in about anything if you do it well and believe in it and and do it you you know if, if you can wrap it in the service of others or in the service to people then you're in the best spot but it's hard to compare to the purpose of doing that job, you know, showing up on a place where every morning that flag goes up and we all stop and render, render honors to it and take a pause. And then end of the day taps plays and that flag goes down and you're wearing the uniform of the United States. I mean, I think you, know, you watch the Olympics, which just happened. I love seeing that USA Jersey. And I think we got to wear the, the best Jersey there is as far as uh, a Jersey for the country. And so trying to replicate that is, I doubt something I'll ever do, but I, I've been very lucky in that I have you know, an incredible bride and, and you know beautiful kids and and I've transitioned to a place where I find purpose in what I'm doing. But it's a it's 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 a, a struggle. You got to keep your eyes on because it's it's easy to um, fall into the trap of I'll never I'll never have the purpose I once had. And so it's just changing. I think your perspective on it and recognizing that. Uh, look at, you know, staring 50 in, in in a couple of years down the gun barrel of that you're like, I can't run with the boys the way I once could, you know, so younger guys got to do that job and I'll move on to, you know, other opportunities.
2: Yeah. I, th- I think it's wonderful that you uh, started preparing, you know, your whole life, but, you know, at least a year or two in advance, that you weren't just coming from something you were going to something. So you had a lot of interests and and activities and relationships and, and things that were fun for you and and gave Mm -hmm. you meaning and that you were good at. I I think the mistake, a lot of athletes, a lot of military personnel, and, you know, probably all of us when we retire at some point formally from our craft is we haven't really thought too much about it. And then we get overly nostalgic and just keep looking backwards. Um And uh, rather than, you know, what gets me excited today or what do I want to do today? And so that purpose and that meaning, that identity is just so important. So um, is that something that you were prepared for at all
1: by the military? I don't think I was. uh, I would say absolutely no. I mean, in my era, I don't think we were doing. A great job of off ramping people at all, and I think um, we were talking previously about a, a peer that you and I both know that's in kind of the mental health space, and you know he had a big part to play in kind of designing. Hey, you know these guys are coming back from horrific events, and we don't have a great system to one help them get healthy in the in the you know the five meter window, but fifty, a hundred thousand yards for the rest of their life. We got to make sure we have a good um, transition. I think. military and then certainly veteran service organizations on the civilian side you know uh, they've done a much better job of helping that happen it's not perfect in the end you do experience a level of intensity that's not um that's not normal you know and and you're gonna have abnormal reactions um or normal reactions to those abnormal events that's actually from my my buddy doc uh doc potter at but but yeah it's um i would say in some ways my history armed me for it a little bit. You know, like I played, I played sports on good teams and and teams that struggled. Um, I think one of the gifts of playing on a dominant team before I ever came in the military is I had that four years of Syracuse. We won the national championship twice when I was there. I was an all American and a team captain. So I kind of got a chance to do all the things you you can kind of hope to do as an athlete at that level of the game. And then you know, I left and then I transitioned into SEAL teams, as you all well know, with athletes, you know, I've got a bunch of buddies We're, you know, we, I graduated in 96 and I'll meet some of my former lacrosse teammates and they're talking about the same stories and the same games. And that's, that's it. That's their thread back to youth and this, this time of excellence. And I'm like, Phew. I mean, that was six chapters ago, it seems like for me. So I think there's a little bit of an ability that I was aware that, you know i've got this book i'm writing and a part of and each new chapter i've got to i've got to add good you know good words and good thoughts to it and keep it going forward and, and a chapter that's closed is hopefully i can reflect on it fondly but not one that you know defines what i'm doing now what i'll do so uh that that's the way i kind of look at my my path is a whole bunch of chapters that i'm i'm trying to make them all good <laughs>
0: Yeah, for sure. It seems like that path is not accidental. You know, as Jim and I were researching for for this interview a little bit, we saw on your website that you have a um, pretty powerful statement, which is a, a written ethos guides my leadership journey. Can you share a little bit about what writing down your mission statement is? Um, really trying to then... Tie that to some core values, which you then tie to short-term, medium, and long-term goals, and kind of how that's providing some structure for you.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, on my, on my website, I have this kind of. It's not a. It's not like a full template, and it's not my full personal ethos. But I tease out, you know, some of the things that are in that ethos, and 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 some of the high points I learned um, from my time in military service. But I think the literature and the documentation of writing down or codifying, you know, your goals, your beliefs, that which you believe in and and, um, want to achieve is a far better plan than just kind of thinking it, you know, there's something about putting pen to paper and saying, you know, look, look, you want to lose 10 pounds, you could say in your head, okay, I want to lose. I mean, really, if you said, look, I want to lose weight. Okay. That that's that there's a method to that. If you say, I want to lose 10.5 pounds and then weigh yourself and start doing work to get to that 10.5 pounds or beyond, you have a far better chance. And literature, I think supports this greatly of achieving that goal by really focusing it, crystallizing it, codifying it and putting it on paper. And so for me, um, If I don't write it down, there's a good chance it's not getting done. And so I'm constantly in the notes page on my phone. I actually carry pen and paper all the time because I still like writing and jotting stuff down. But you know, forget about what I need to buy at the grocery store. If there's anything that pops into my mind that I think could be of value, try and jot it down because I don't I don't know if it's ever going to enter enter that headspace again. You know, so um, I I think writing something down is important. One of my mentors, a a good buddy of mine, um, that's you know now in his late 70s. Uh, amazing family, amazing businessman. But his his family's written almost like a family, you know, code of ethics and behavior. It's like their family creed, and it's written. And I mean, it, they're they're a, they're a Mormon family, so it's multiple kids, twenty some odd grandchildren. But every one of the um, their family knows that document, and it's very simple. I mean, it's it's you know, we we focus on this. This is what we believe in. This is how we treat each other. This is how we think about ourselves and this is who we wanna be. And look, that thing sits inside their living room and in everybody's house. And so it's sort of a get up every day and that's what we believe in. And you know, the military has a ton of that. We have a ton of written codes of behaviors and and ethoses and, and songs and things that, that tell you what's important. You go to SEAL training compound, there's signs around the compound, pays to be a winner, be someone special. The only easy day was yesterday. Um, those are not up by up there by accident. They're they're written down because, like, look, that's what we believe in. Um, you need to try and live up to that.
0: Yeah, one of my favorites from my my old college weightlifting coach, Coach Cross, who's now since passed. Um, he 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 would always sit, uh, put up different signs, you know, but a few would stay throughout the years. And one that was was still there up until he he uh, retired was the cheese is only free in a mousetrap.
1: I love it. I, love it. I
0: like that one. Um, and then we, we, we had t-shirts made that said the real cross training. So this was before CrossFit was a thing like yeah, right, right. 10 years beforehand, but you know, no, I like I've, got that. A,
1: I've got a couple of those like wax pens that you can write on mirrors and I have stuff on my mirror all the time. I have stuff there all the time. My One of my favorites, I, I don't know if this was born out of CrossFit or um, something else recently, but God talk about simplicity, but I love it. It's nothing changes if nothing changes.
0: Yeah. Or, or the way the way Coach Cross would say it, and he borrowed it from another great coach um, and, and mentor, Tubby, Tubby Smith, when he served under him. And, you know, that obviously, Tubby won a couple of national championships while he was there. But uh, it was uh, if you always do what you always did, you always get what you always got, which, again, didn't invent it. But it was uh, it, that yeah. was ever present in there.
1: <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. No, that sat on my window for a long time. I was like, boy, that's true. That's true.
0: What else do you have written on that mirror right now?
1: Uh, right now I have a, uh, shoot, I'd have to walk in. I I, I just changed it. Um, I changed it last Friday. I have a, oh, it's a, it's a jujitsu thing. So last Friday I'm a white belt. I'm new. I, I, I did not do this with my time in the team's I found myself a couple of the guys that took it real seriously. You know, you just, you're hurt all the time and usually not catastrophic stuff where you're like, Oh, I got a neck crank and my elbows off. And it was just like, God, ah, I'm not gonna be able to do my actual job, job doing this, but now I'm kind of all in and doing it, you know, five days a week with a pretty intense crew. And I, um, I advanced oh. to another, you know, stripe, you get several stripes on belts and you go to the next belt. And um, I, 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 my coach, or my professor which is a black belt said last Friday I wrote up there it was um it was uh he sent me a text like hey you're doing really good things keep going where you're going you're improving he's like but don't forget like it never gets easier you just get better and so right now it says you never it never gets easier you just get better which is so true in that discipline. I mean, it just is, it's never going to be easy. There's going to be somebody better, even when you're good, you're being put under tremendous duress. Um, you just get better so you can handle more and then, then you go harder.
2: How were you able to, uh, maintain your composure, uh, maintain your composure? Um, you know, when, when bullets were flying, how, uh, what was most helpful in terms of, you know, maybe being a paragon of poise and and keeping your cool when the heat was on?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, the answer to this from sports, it it, it was practice. I mean, really, I I think people are looking for a a magic well of confidence and and discipline and focus. Um, It was just reps. I mean, you know, we, by the time the first person that jumped up with an AK 47 and started shooting at me, did that for real. I I had seen that. I wish I knew the number a hundred thousand times, probably not that many, but 5,000 times, 10,000 times. I mean, that's how many times we had come around a corner, shot a paper target that looked like a human and done these drills and run our individual movement or what are called immediate action drills and all the process that leads you to have skills at war, particularly as a leader. Um, I just learned it. And, and I mean, there's no uh, environment like the real thing. I mean, you certainly have to then uh, not freeze and be able to go, but I, I it, it, it never it never felt like a huge challenge. And and again, it was the amount of preparation we did for that moment. They're they're just, I I can't actually think of almost anything that unfolded on the battlefield. There were plenty of surprises, but that we hadn't at least worked on something that like closed that gap or allowed us to address that situation. And, And even if an alien had showed up with a laser gun, if nothing else, I knew I wasn't going to quit. I mean, maybe I lose, but I'm not going to quit, and nobody next to me is going to quit. So, it's a pretty potent, you know, starting point when your baseline is none of us are going to quit. We're going to give max effort. Let's take care of one each other and uh, one another, and and go try and win the day. Um, I'd say the only time I had a real uh uh oh this is bad moment was actually when I you know as an officer you have you're running an assault team you've got two junior officers under you and then the senior enlisted that help run that team and I I was very aware that I had to give those young guys a lot of a lot of rope and a lot of opportunity to learn that craft and get out of their way so they could do it in the next round because I'd be moving on to an administrative job or an executive job and I remember one of the very first missions I turned one of my junior officers loose, who's phenomenal. He needed none of my help, but was still young and hadn't, hadn't carried the, you know, carried the load on his own and they got a pretty good, bad fight and and I wasn't there. And I actually was leaving my afternoon workout, came into our, our, our tactical center and could hear that it was getting bad so much so that we had to get our kid on and kind of zoom into the rescue. They were already out of harm's way by the time we got there, but just the drive to, pick them up and recover them. And I see them at a distance and I see guys carrying each other because there's some wounds and injury and stuff like that going on. That was pretty tough. You know, giving away, it's like your kid, you know, giving them that ropes, they got to run with the ball, but look, that's, that's life. They don't know. They don't, they don't get to do it uh, if you don't let them do it. So, but that was probably one of the toughest things I had to deal with was, you know, if I had control, I knew all the, all all the, the, the the check ended with me when you give it away, then it, then it gets, uh, then it gets dicey.
2: Yeah, I love that it's uh it you know there's a saying in sports psychology you got to train it and then you got to trust it. And yeah. and obviously in the military with the Navy Seals there was a lot of training and yeah. so it made it so much easier to trust it when when it counted most.
1: 100%.
0: 100%. Yeah, I was um curious when you talked about act of valor what's something there's a lot obviously of Navy SEALs assumptions in in popular culture, partly through through film and through um, other forms of media, you know, novels and this kind of thing. What's something about um, special forces mindset that maybe is different or even counterintuitive to some of those assumptions that are out there in popular culture?
1: Yeah, I think um, I think people have a sense or might assume that there's a meanness or, um, an anger or a hate that goes into our job. I, I probably have a couple teammates that operated on hate, but I don't think for the most part, it's really good fuel. You know, for me, it was much more a belief in who we are, a belief in my abilities, my team abilities. And, um, the desire to do my job well and, and to achieve whatever mission was thrown in front of us. And you know, there's one of my favorite quotes is that amazing quote that the you know warrior fights not because he hates what's in front of him, but because he loves what's behind him. And I just felt that I never had any hate in my heart for anybody. I mean, I saw people kill, you know, teammates that I cared about, and you know, damn sure try and kill me, and I never really had you know, some intense emotion like, I hate this person. And I just would do the work. I would do it mechanically. And then, you know, you go back to bed that night and you got to metabolize that you obviously, you know, ended someone else's life and they're somebody's son or brother or father or whatever it is. And that's, that's real. And that's something we all need to take with us and kind of work through and carry that burden. Um, I don't think I carry it heavily. I was lucky in my time in that. I never drew my weapon on anyone that, didn't have theirs drawn on me and was shooting at me. I have a couple of buddies that took shots they shouldn't have taken, and I think it bothers them and eats away at them. And I, I was lucky, I guess, in that. Um, you know, the decisions I made, the scenarios I was put in. Um, you know, I think a lot of people think SEALs, I mean, if I lined up, look, if I lined up most assault team in this most assault teams in the SEALs, never even looked at a snapshot, particularly the boys stay on the beach with their shirt off. You'd be like, Yep, those look like what I think SEALs look like. But if you look very closely, you'd see two or three guys. You're like, that guy looks like he needs a note from mom to be in the military. You know, I mean, it's not all big Terminator, um, you know, physically aggressive and imposing people. I mean, our average size is much smaller than people would think, and it kind of lends towards it's all up here, you know, not 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 in here. And so, uh, I, I think there's a little misnomer that this aggressive you know, somewhat hateful kind of berserker type person is who we send to the battlefield. And uh, we honestly don't. To be honest, if I see one of my guys going down that path, I'll pull them. They they won't make good decisions based on that. Yeah.
0: No, I love that. Um, In terms of that, sitting there processing what's gone on, you've been shot at, you know, maybe one of your buddies has taken a bullet. Maybe you and or he and others have put bullets in other people. Yeah. did does your 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 christian faith allow you or did it allow you to process that in maybe a different way than you would have without that faith
1: i think so i mean i am i'll be honest about this and i haven't done a lot of writing about it but i will and i'll release more about it i grew up in the church like you know so many kids do you know you went to church on sunday cuz that's what your know, family asked of you i do not feel like i had any deep connection to god or or the real um you know, even ethos or 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 personal relationship uh, that you know you can have with God, and so I, I took that almost all the way through combat. And there's some things that happen in combat that very much turned that tide and reoriented me or focused me more on faith. Um, it, it was just very interesting to one to see the intensity of of a of a different faith and the way they looked at the world. And there's things I respect hugely i mean them praying five times a day blew my mind i was like man five times out of their day to like think about you know why they're there and who they're living for and what they're doing for now i think the extremists have a perverted view of that and have taken it to a bad place um but there's no way i can't dis- i can disrespect that level of commitment and that level of kind of style and brand um i had good buddies that that had really deep faith that i think carried them extremely well in the battlefield and i think i had a bunch that absolutely didn't and, and ended up fine. I think in, in the post-combat uh, experience, it's been um, a, much, a, a much more sincere pursuit and a much more, uh, I don't know, emotional ride and journey, uh, I guess, having seen the things, you know, we got to see. Um, so in the time, I would say, no, I don't think I spent a whole lot of time, you know, the whole, there's no atheist in foxholes, that's not true. I've been with plenty of them. the guys that were not calling for mommy or God when things got bad. They were just fine. But um, I do think it uh, enlivened a part of my body uh, or my you know kind of spiritual side that but for that experience might not have grown. So it's been a very cool result of those experiences, more so than, uh, you know, a set of armor while I was there.
0: Absolutely. How how does how has that faith informed your writing and all the other you know leadership that you've done and all the projects that you've taken on since you retired from active service?
1: I think uh, I think I haven't baked a lot of it into the things I've written, and and maybe it's uh, maybe it's a mistake. And I think there's a good chance more of that will come in the future. I, I, I think there was a time, even as that coming back from those combat rounds, that was growing in me that you still. I think it takes time to get to a place where you're comfortable even being in any way evangelical in any way, kind of pressing, you know, the message forward, even though, you know, you're, you're, you're pretty specifically called to do it. It's, it's not an easy wear for me, I think because I just have tremendous respect for if this is a belief you have, you know, and it is a truth that you feel and that you walk that path in your life, that that's a strength and a good thing. If it's not, I sure know plenty of, phenomenal human beings that that's not a big part of their life so I, I'm I definitely don't feel like I'm here to say what's right and wrong so I've been careful about how I kind of weigh into those conversations and what I've written but I think I think there's some components of it that are growing and and uh, it's funny we brought up you know a buddy of ours that was at the at the church we attend and I, I've I want to talk to him a little bit more about some things I've, I'm thinking of concept wise that could relate to scripture and some of those you know just most you know, solid biblical text and guidances that I think would be very interesting to kind of marry with some of the things I saw on the battlefield and saw in leadership. I mean, in the end, I think the most, you know, trendy recent, but it's, you know, take the trendy out of it. The idea of being a servant as a leader, that that's the good stuff. I mean, that that's who everybody wants to follow. If you realize that the people that work for you, you're in service to your leadership style can be whatever it's going to be. If that's Sincere and authentic, people will want to follow you. If it's the other way around, you know, all these people work for me, and now they're mine. You're running for a train wreck, you know. You know in that leadership journey. So, uh, so yeah, it's an interesting kind of phase of my life, and one that uh, you know clearly is not ready for prime time. But I'm I'm building it.
2: Yeah, I've heard this described as the "wuss" factor in leadership. That we all tend to want to be liked and loved and be popular. Um, was that something that you had to uh, fight against a little bit and do the right thing or was it? Yeah. yeah.
1: I think it was a natural part of my leadership. I I think it's one I learned, I mean, I definitely think it's one I learned in the military more than I I guess growing up, I always was pretty, I'm, I'm a pretty, as much as I do a bunch of speaking, I peg the needle on introverted. I'm a pretty insular person with my mind and thoughts and, and how I see things until I have to say something, um, and so I I do think being an athlete, I usually kind of, you know, kept myself inside, but people could see the fire and see the example. And I was less aggressive, I think, vocally than if you told me to do it again as a captain, I would have done a couple of things different my senior year than I did. And look, I was 21 and, and, you know, had no experience with that stuff. And now later in my career, I kind of realize, you know, the way you you create great teams is giving away power and, and showing some of your weakness. And, and, and if you make a mistake, owning up to it, admitting it, saying, let's get past it. And I won't do it again. And and, um, of course in the social media world, you know, the whole apology and getting crucified, that's all like bastardized. That what I'm talking about, I'm talking about with teams that you trust and work with, um, you know, giving away power, set, circling yourself with people that are better than you, um, trying to get your ego out of the way. Th- those are the leaders that, th- you know, that's the leader I want to be. And those are the leaders I want to follow. You see that person, um, you can get down with that person. You see somebody that's just, you know, a tyrant. And I, look, I've seen a few tyrants that that had good enough ju- judgment, good enough ability to make good decisions. That's like, hey, it wasn't fun working for them, but they made the right decision. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's also just a constant journey. I mean, you learn something new about leadership and and individual situations all the time. And, uh, you know, then all of a sudden you end up a parent and realize you don't know anything. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: I think it could be described as, uh, as the servant leadership is, is the power of love. And then, you know, and, and then bad leadership is, you know, the love of power. And, um, and, and so being able to differentiate that is so important.
1: Yeah. And it's authenticity, right? I mean, I, I tell people when I when I had young leaders, that I was helping bring up. Bring up. I just like just be yourself. Don't try and be me. Somebody else. Be the best version of you. If you're quiet and don't you know aren't a yeller, don't yell. But make sure when you say something, it means something. If you're a yeller and screamer, great. But recognize it's going to be off putting and unsettle people. So you got to figure out a way to rally them back in. And so I've I've seen I've, in, as best I could tell, I've seen almost every leadership style sort of work and fail the same. You you know, it's a very strange thing, but I think if you're authentic and, and, but you can't get away from, if you actually care for your people, if you care for your people and you're willing to sacrifice yourself and them, give to them, um, work in their interests, you're, you're, you're good to go. You're good to go.
0: Absolutely. Looking back at that that younger version of yourself that, that's coming out off of that, obviously a great sporting experience, you know, friends for life in the team environment at Syracuse. What's a piece piece of advice or a lesson you wish you could impart to that 22-year-old self?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, before I had that, we were going down a track and I forgot, uh, uh, Jim, you had said about that, you know, being liked. I I developed very early on in the military, a kind of like 90-10 um, percentage of hoping and kind of almost ensuring about 90% of the people that work for me, you know, liked me and believed in me and wanted to follow me. And about 10% absolutely hated my guts. Because I feel like that, that ratio would be like, all right, I stand for something. There's got to be a, you know, at least a small number of these people that aren't doing it right. And if I am, we shouldn't get along, you know? So I had that like little mindset in there as I went through and I've shared that with a lot of executives in the corporate space. And i'm like, Oh man, I never even thought about that. I'm like okay, somebody should want to crucify you. You're probably not, you're probably not doing everything right. You That's know?
2: right. I, I heard a uh, baseball manager once say, uh, the key to being a great manager is to keep those that love you, uh, you know, it, it, there, there's going to be people that love you. There's going to be people that hate you and there's people that are undecided. So try to keep the undecided people away from the people that hate you. <laughs> yeah, so I thought
1: oh, that was funny. Probably good advice.
0: Yeah, good advice. or even I I, I read, um, you know, Seth Godin does his little daily blog and I don't look at it, the emails every day, but he had one that said, I, I want more one-star reviews of my books on Amazon and Barnes and Noble than I do five stars. Because like you yeah. said, that, that means I've actually got something to say.
1: That's right. That's right. Yeah. As far as the kind of younger version of myself, I, I, I don't, um, I can't do it. So it's it's a, it's a little bit out in the ether in a way that I got to figure out what I say. I, I will say, you know, when I showed up at Syracuse, um, I let that place intimidate me a bit. You know, I, I played water polo in high school, and I played lacrosse. Water polo, I mean, I don't know what would have happened if I'd stayed, but I was getting recruited by big teams. There were a couple of guys that played on the 96 Olympic team I used to make cry in high school. So, I mean, I, I think I could have gone a long, long way in that sport. And if I'd, if I'd left my senior high school and gone down the street to Stanford or Cal or UCLA and hopped in a pool, I would have been in there expecting to start. I mean, I don't know if I would have, but I would have hopped in the pool expecting to start. And I'd only played lacrosse three years in high school by the time I got recruited and went back to play at Syracuse, which is not enough time, you know, but I just, I, I, I was a good athlete. I was aggressive. I was big enough and strong enough to play at that level. But I remember when I showed up, I, I just kind of allowed the place to, um, throw me off a bit, you know, just, I, I, I just, I wish, and, and to be honest, I, I I wish I could go back. And maybe metabolize a little bit more. My dad had made me a little tape on an audio recorder, somewhat telling me the exact same thing that that you know, freshmen had led teams to national championships. And forget about you know, freshman or senior. It's about what you do and how you perform. And I I feel like I heard that, and and I I don't think you know many people would ever. I don't think they saw me sweat, but I just think there's a level of aggression I probably could have brought to that. You know, my freshman year during kind of tryouts, I was a recruit, so it wasn't as much a tryout, but just trying to establish myself there that if you told me I could start over tomorrow armed with the time I had on the battlefield, um, I would have been a four-year starter. You know, I would have been a four-year starter. I just think I would have, I wouldn't have allowed for anything else. And and uh, that place, my, my, look, my freshman year, that team was so, that team's in the conversation as one of the best ever. So, I mean, it was, it was extremely loaded. That was not an easy lineup to crack. But, um, I think it was just this deep, deep belief in yourself. I probably would have gone back and be like, Hey, trust yourself, play your game, take your shots, you know, get, you know, make mistakes and go a little bit harder. And I think I might've had a quicker result to the end state. I got where I ended up wanting to be, but, uh, I, I think I would've gotten there quicker. So maybe that, maybe that.
2: Yeah. I think you, uh, I think you can't get away from sports psychologists. I think, uh, uh, there was, uh, Jerry Lynch was a sports psychologist that worked with uh, Syracuse. Yeah, uh, in does that ring remember. a bell?
1: It does ring a bell. I don't remember spending time with him. You know, we had a really unique environment because my coach was a coach by the name, name of Roy Simmons Jr. He's uh, he may have been passed by now in the winningest coach in history. I don't know if he's been passed in national championships. And then take every accolade from the field away. If you just even went to Syracuse lacrosse's website or talked to anybody that ever played there, this guy was another type of human being. I mean, he was just like a spectacular. He was an artist. You know, he played with Jim Brown when he was in college. Jim Brown came to one of our practices and said, I would have fought everybody on the campus of Syracuse if somebody wanted to get in a fight except your coach like Slugger was his nickname. He was just a gifted speaker and motivator. I don't remember him teaching me a thing about the sport of lacrosse, but before every game he'd give a speech where you thought you knew where the speech was going and have a funny punchline. And they tell us to go be unpredictable on the field, or he'd tell, he just was an unbelievable motivator. And uh, I don't know, kind of strange father to everybody that every ever played there. And that, that was a tremendous gift. He was, He was the team psychologist and he was the team, you know, dad, mom and everything. He was he was a a singular force in that program. And that program enjoyed 30 years of of uh, of of unbelievable performance because of him, for sure. Yeah.
0: Amazing. Um, You touched a little bit on, on your father equipping you with that that uh tape um that audio but back when cassettes were thin kids there was also a round thing called vinyl records yeah. amazingly yeah. right yeah. We, we all remember but some yeah. listeners might not so in terms of your own fatherhood so you had a great father um which obviously a lot of people don't or not have an absent father but were blessed by that um how are you looking to bless your kids and prepare them for life in the big bad world as a father
1: yeah. I mean, look, I, I, uh, I'm in the deep end of the pool. Cause I have two, I have two girls. So I feel like, uh, you go down the, the girl's path and you, you, I mean, you are at the deep end of the pool. You know, it's like everything that I, I feel like I'm designed to impart lives in kind of man world. And so I think what I've recognized is that one, I have the distinct honor of setting hopefully the standard for what they'll see in a man. So, that I like because I—I mean, if if you know they bring in some some hopefully young, self-possessed, tough kid that believes in himself and you know, hopefully has good manners and a gentleman, I'll be like, all right, I d- hopefully I did enough that that's what they expected a man was, and that's a that's a constant struggle and and uh, level of kind of performance that I hold myself to. Um, the real gift of having daughters is you get the full spectrum, right? Like I can teach them jujitsu and teach them to fight and shoot. And we could play with dollhouses and dress up and go out on dates and, and all the stuff that that girls kind of get into um I, I just think my goal is to set the example my goal is to you know answer every question that comes and uh you know frankly to love the hell out of them i mean the thing anybody that's a parent knows knows this before ever i say it but it's mystifying to see how much they are who they are i mean that my daughters could not be more different i see myself in in them and i see my my bride in them and then you see my grandfather in them these behaviors i mean that genetics and all the stuff that goes in there and then i just think that you know divine spark that lives in all of us all i feel like i can do is help guide them to be the best version of who they are i'm not going to i'm not going to make them be something they're not so that's uh, that's our goal is to help be a guide to their best you know version of who they can be and um we've been very lucky my kids aren't you know they're they're great girls they they got unbelievable manners and they're full of personality and just just neat neat kiddos so if it keeps going on the trajectory it's going on i might i might make it out alive
0: oh well, great um jim you you have a daughter what what are some of your thoughts on this
2: i have a 10 year old daughter and uh everything you said uh i couldn't have said better so um, that, what a joy, what a joy and, yeah. and what an honor of a lifetime it is being a parent. So yeah. Um, yeah. it's the thing I appreciate the most and it puts everything in perspective in terms of our work and, and, and all of our other pursuits. But uh, yeah. no, I just get a kick out of just how vitally involved you are in life. And, and I think that's a, just such an important message is, is, you know, is, is have that call to adventure that you've had and, and be willing to work hard because most of the things that we want are on the other side of hard. and, yeah. Um, and then I also like that you're just a, a, a true, uh, a true scholar and a gentleman. And, um, and I, and I think it's important that we all work on our body and then also the mind as well. So, um, it's just really stimulating conversation. Um, what, tell us more about some of the things that you have coming up and, and, and some of your goals, you mentioned the writing and, and, and just maybe even some personal pursuits that you're interested in.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, the daily pursuit has been the jujitsu in that path. So that's great. I'm starting every morning with that and, you know, suffering for about an hour, half, two hours every day. It's a good way to start the day. Um, and I really do have a succinct goal of seeing that thing through to, um, that's not a, a thing you can master, but, you know, by belts, I can get to a certain state. So I have a, I have a, a year and a goal in mind where I want to be at a certain place and I've got the right, the right team around me to help facilitate that. Um, as far as the writing, I'm, I'm kind of looking at the next project. You know, I, I as I, I mentioned, the Winston Churchill on uh, being the motivator to kind of join the military, I've actually had a couple of conversations with my literary agent And like the Royal Churchillian Society. Oh, I know them well. Yeah. You and Um, I
0: need to get together. I I showed it earlier, but I don't think you were looking. So on one side, this is Winston himself. And then on the other side is Action This Day.
1: Uh, I love it. Yeah. So
0: I wrote a book about how on earth he ended up in Fulton, Missouri, and the Iron Curtain speech he gave there and kind of the story of that college president. So when we yeah. meet when we meet in um, person for uh, for a coffee or something a little stronger um, I will give you a copy of that and let's figure out what you can do on the Churchill side because yeah no, I was I was the youngest person to speak at that conference um, the only time I've been in Canada in Toronto um, at, wow. at the International Churchill conference um, I was the youngest speaker by about 35 years I think so <laughs>
1: very cool yeah so there's there's talk of a project there of trying to weave my experiences and and then how I've leaned on you know him as a leader and a motivator and stuff like that so that's 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 definitely a a a project that's kind of brewing and then the the next I think wave on the business side is I've got you know if you go to roarkdenver.com that's my website and I've got a bunch of content there and anybody can book me for speaking events and keynotes and consulting and things like that I I have an, an approach in you know almost the 10 mark 10 year market doing that. I would finish almost every speech. Somebody from the company would be like, God, that's one of the best speeches we've ever had. What else can we do? You know, is there an experience? Is there something more? And I actually really didn't have an answer for it. I mean, I put a couple buddies and friends through, you know, some seal experiences and things like that, but I'm, I'm working on a company right now. Um, right now the, the name is high ground and I will see if we can maintain that. Of course, every URL on planet earth is bought, but uh, um I'm trying to get some of my former teammates one to give them a neat landing plat pad in a spot where they can use some of their former skills and get us together to do stuff. But I think it's um, I think it might start in kind of the corporate event space. There's some kind of personal um, resilience and home defense stuff that's baked in there. Um, The corporate side. I love, I mean, I, I like, like the opportunity there. There's obviously money there. If we can get that up on step, I think it'd be great to then step aside and do it for youth young people kids uh folks that are struggling and instead of having a corporate team that can afford the afford the bill you know have some of the corporate guys sponsors sponsor a couple events where it's like hey let's bring in some you know, inner city kids, let's bring in some people that don't have opportunities, don't have good mentors and role models and see if we can get some people on a neat trajectory. So that's, that's the, that's the current project I'm sinking my teeth into right now. And I think, you know, next time we do this, uh, uh, we'll, we'll talk more about it.
2: Appreciate it.
0: Thank yeah. you. Fantastic. Well, you've been so generous with your time day. And again, looking forward to us continuing this in person and hopefully the three yeah. of us can can uh recircle the wagon soon as well and do this again because it's been a lot of fun and just really appreciate you and and everything you stand for and not just your principles but how you're putting them into action every day with both your work your your family and your mission
1: i appreciate it no i enjoyed the conversation greatly and we should definitely do it again
0: thanks for joining us if you enjoyed this episode please tell your friends about the champion conversations podcast and rate review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your platform of choice. You can also follow Jim on Twitter at Gold Medal Mind. Go out and be a champion today, and we'll see you back here next week.